folks welcome back to the returning episode of a summer break of triple g gingers gridiron and golf podcast this is your host stephen kerr aka ginger back in the saddle as i would say jack to be here and ready to go it's been a great summer off um lots going on in my world professionally non-professionally personally so um feels great to fire back up the podcast we've got a big fall ahead uh in golf and football we've got fedex cup playoffs happening kicking off this week we've got the uh the ladies finalizing the end of their season corn Ferry tour as well and as everybody knows and all we're hearing about is fantasy football drafts and getting that organized for week one of the upcoming 2021 NFL season. We've got a couple new segments uh, that we'll be introducing in throughout the fall here. One of them here kicking off tonight, but uh, we're going to be doing some betting segments covering um, each matchup week by week, looking at the point spread and things to look at. We'll be breaking down some fantasy matchups as well. We've got a great lineup of guests throughout the fall here for the next eight to ten weeks you're going to see dutch back in the fold you'll see the old boy back in the fold so we're super excited but let's uh let's hop right into one of those new segments and one of those new segments is called what have you learned and we're going to kick it off this week with week one of the nfl preseason football what have we learned what was the number one thing i learned in the nfl this week and that was a couple things i've got kind of three and i'm going to break them down but nine my number one is is we are in good shape folks and we are in good shape with the quarterbacks here in the nfl and the future is bright and that landscape is really bright when you start to read these names out of quarterbacks that are under the age of 25 years and let's just talk about the stars that we have in the league currently patrick mahomes deshaun watson josh allen Justin Herbert, Joe Burrows, and Lamar Jackson. Then you move to your next tier, Kyler Murray, Sam Darnold, still under that that age, looking to find his potential in Carolina. Daniel Jones, looking for a breakout season in New York. That's already right there, nine names. And then we look at just the quarterbacks after week one that we've seen that were drafted in round one of the 2021 draft. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. And folks, we are in absolutely phenomenal shape. For years, I've been pounding the table wondering why these quarterbacks can't come from college into the NFL. And to me, it was poor coaching, trying to fit a a square peg into a round hole. And finally, over time... They've started to adopt more of these college concepts, and there there just seems to be more of a seamless progression. And, and you know, I've had this argument off on air, on air, off air, with a lot of different people about you know resting quarterbacks, and and I'm under the philosophy of put put them in there, put them in there. These are these are professional athletes, and I I know a lot of them have had success throughout the course of their entire career. I, I get it. Trevor Lawrence hasn't lost a football game. Um, 
since he's been playing football, since Pop Warner. I, I understand that. But these guys are mentally strong. They go through different types of adversity. I don't believe that you can you can ruin an athlete in terms of them coming out there and, and losing. Look at Peyton Manning. You know, 2-14, and 3-13 in that, that first season. Tons of picks. Um, more more picks than interceptions. Significantly more. And, and he just put on the uh, the gold jacket a couple uh, about ten days ago. So I'm not a, I'm not I'm not big on this this whole resting thing. To me, if I'm a franchise owner, if I'm a general manager, I'm in that front office. I wanna I wanna see I wanna see certain things. And and you look at Patrick Mahomes and and you know he may be the outlier here. But there were throws that Patrick Mahomes made in that first year that that you knew you, that this kid had something special. There were throws that there were things that Deshaun Watson did and throws that Deshaun Watson made that you knew he was something special. Even a guy like Josh Allen, who's who's had to have a progression over a three-year period, um, you know, to come to that spot where he was runner-up for the MVP last season. He made throws in that first that that rookie year, even though they wanted to rest him. But he got thrown in on that cold, wet, rainy day in Baltimore um, after the court injury um, that was ahead of him. He made throws, and he made plays in that game that you said, okay, there's things here that we can build with. And when you look at those five quarterbacks drafted, uh, they're they're ready to go. Um, Lawrence is a, is a, not a by not by any means a finished product, but but you know. There is potential there. Zach Wilson, potential there. He's just an absolute athlete, athletic stud. Uh, Justin Fields, we're going to talk about him with Jacob Infante coming on a little bit later um, from uh, from Chicago. Mac Jones, you know, did everything that Mac Jones was set out to do. And Trey Lance, big play Trey. You know, there there were some ups and ups and downs there, but. Um, damn, we're in really good shape here in the NFL moving forward, uh, in my mind for the next eight to 12 years. Thing number two that I learned or thing number two that I learned, um, in week one of NFL football here, and that is measurables matter. And, and you hear it all the time, you know, the combine's just a makeup, um, make believe thing for the NFL. And I, and I don't understand, you know why they need to go through this thing and why they look at hand size and arm length and and wingspan because it matters folks it matters and and you look at some of the names that are drafted um in that that first round um jamar chase just an absolute physical freak it matters it matters the way you're built at certain positions it matters how you use that build and the perfect example is is uh, you know, and I'll go back to that to, to two first round draft picks coming out in this 2021 draft, and in a game that probably not a lot of people watch, but this is where the measurables come in. And you look at a guy like Greg Rousseau, drafted 30th um, by the Buffalo Bills, and you look at his arm length, 34 and three three eighths inches. Okay, and and you're gonna roll your eyes and 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 work through me, work through this with me, folks. Up against left tackle, seventh overall pick, Penny Sewell from the from the Detroit Lions. Okay, thirty three and one quarter inch arm length. Okay, and you go back and you look at that that second play from down from down scrimmage for Greg Rousseau, and he extends that arm out into the right shoulder pad of Penny Sewell, 
and those short arms that you talked about, those measurables that all of the the draft network, draft wire guys, all of those intangibles, all of those measurables that they look at, that they talk about on draft night and leading up to the draft, they matter because Rousseau's able to extend that arm out, get to Sewell first, get the leverage, turn the corner and bend, and gets to the quarterback. Right, and they're already talking about it in Detroit with the short arms of Penny Sewell. So those are things. You know, we I, I, I go on a spiel about the quarterbacks there, but you know what? There's a guy to me in Los Angeles, and, and I know. Hey, we're talking week one of preseason football, so I, I preface this, but I think he's he's got potential, and and granted, away from his position, and we know that that left tackle position isn't the sexy position and doesn't always win those big awards, i.e. the offensive rookie of the year. We know it's going to come from one of the quarterbacks or wide receivers or whatever it may be. But Ray Sean Slater, folks, is an absolute monster, an absolute beast. He was moving men, growing-ass men, all over the football field um, this week. He's the guy that I think has the potential to be the best draft pick in round one in the 2021 draft. And the other measurables you look at, guys, I mentioned Chase, but what about a guy like Kyle Pitts? You know, you're looking at training camp and, and all you're hearing about in him and Matt Ryan is, is is throw it up to me. Six foot six, 265 pounds, um, fleet of foot, and he's just going up and getting ball after ball and just frustrating the hell out of linebackers, safeties, corners, whoever they're trying to put on him down there in Atlanta. So measurables matter in the NFL, folks. And number three, as much as measurables matter, preseason doesn't matter. Um, but what we do know and what I did learn is that, yes, preseason doesn't matter, but joint practices and game planning does matter. Okay? When you look at the this week's... Uh, 16 games of football in the in the National Football League. One game, the Steelers and the Eagles made it to 40 points. Three games made it to 36 um, or higher. So there was not a lot of scoring. Defense is still ahead of the offense, but it, it's to that that point of of they're not game planning. Everything's very vanilla right now. Um, when you look at the lead up to that that uh, that first preseason week one. It was a lot of joint practices, and to me, that's what matters. Is what's happening in practice when when Justin Fields is going, you know, head to head against Denver's starting defense, or or um, you know, whoever's starting defense. That's what matters, right? What what's matters when when Kirk Cousins is going up against Denver's defense in that joint practice, right? Or Ben Roethlisberger's going up against that e- vaunted uh, Eagles defensive line in practice. So that's what matters. What happens in the game, these guys aren't staying up all night preseason. They're trying to get their players in situations. And it's all about situational football. And it's an opportunity to see down the line and down the wire. And for those fans out there that, that are looking for a little bit more football and and under, try to understand, you know, hey, Ginger, why why do you care about the the preseason week one and watching the third quarter or the second quarter. And, and here's why, because when it comes down to, to week 12 and week 13 and guys are getting banged up and beat up in that injury list and the injury reserve starts to, 
then the pup list starts to grow and grow and grow. And next thing you know, you got Rashad, Rashad Wild Goose. Yes, cornerback number seven for the Buffalo Bills is on the football field in the fourth quarter trying to cover Justin Jefferson or Keenan Allen in a one-on-one matchup. That's why it matters. Because you're trying to you're trying to figure out where where you're only as good as your weakest link in weakest link in the NFL, and that's why these matchups that we're going to talk about with Kevin Bowen from from Indianapolis and Jacob Infante from uh, from Chicago, two of our uh, great guests we have on today on the cast. Um, that's why it matters to to come down to it and and to really dive into those matchups because these are players and these are guys that you're going to see on the football field and you're going to get to know their names when it comes down to week 13, week 14 and week 15. But uh before we go any farther, let's dive into uh what we're going to talk about here and what we're uh what we're covering here on this week's uh podcast. Great to be back. We're going to talk about two divisions. We're talking about the AFC South and the NFC North, you've heard uh, both the names of our guests that we got going on. So we'll cover the other three teams in those divisions here with me. And then we'll uh, zip over to talk to two of our guests. We'll take it to break. And when we come back from break, we're going to get into some golf. We're going to talk about some Canadians. We're going to talk Women's British Open. Of course, Dutch and I's picks for this week's big tournament at the Northern Trust at Liberty National in New York. Uh, the boys are jacked for it. And the women's British at Carnoustie over in Scotland. Going to be wet and cold for sure. But uh, let's dive into the AFC South here. And let's start off with probably um, the least sexy team out of the three. Uh, and that's the uh, the Houston Texans. Not too much uh, word happening out of Houston here nationally. But what I will tell you is that uh, David Culley's putting together a nice little coaching staff down there in Houston uh, with Lovey Smith. Romeo Cornell just pops on. He's got himself. He's got Pep Hamilton coaching the quarterbacks, a longtime quarterbacks coach, head coach at Stanford. They've got Tyrod Taylor. They've got Davis Mills there in substitution for um, what everybody's waiting to hear is, is, uh, is Deshaun Watson going to play football here in 2021? And my gut tells me, yes, he is. He is going to play football. Um, is he going to play all 17 games? Yes, I don't. Uh, I know a lot of you probably turned your head when you heard 17 games. We're so used to hearing 16 games, but is he going to play all 17? Uh, no, my gut would tell me no. But he will be on the football field. And a couple things to watch for here with with uh, with the Texans. Number one is they've got a they've got a a nice little start that they can kind of gain some steam and really kind of find their legs and try to compete in some football games. You know, you look at starting with Jacksonville, then at Cleveland, then the Carolina, then Buffalo, then New England, and then the Colts, who may or may not have Carson Wentz back in the fold. If Wentz is back in the fold at bye week six in a divisional matchup, um, it'll probably be one of his first two games, as uh, we'll hear from Kevin Bowen a little bit later on on that. But... You look at that backfield now, and and it's pretty clear what what uh, Mr. Cully wants to do. Whether number four is in or out of the lineup in Houston, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, and Rex Burkhead. That's a stacked backfield. That's a lot of competition there, and that tells me that they're planning on running the football a little bit. You've got a couple weapons in Brandon Cooks and Atkins at um, or Aikens at uh, at the tight end spot. 
Nico Collins is a sleeper here uh, in terms of wide receiver. Big boy out of Michigan. We talked about him on some of our draft previews and uh, breakdowns earlier in the summertime. But uh, I think the Texans are going to be a little bit more competitive than, uh, than a lot of people think, especially in this division. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on those. Let's, those Texans. Let's move on to the Tennessee Titans now. And I'll start by saying this. Barring a disaster, I just don't see how the Tennessee Titans cannot win this division. I know the Indianapolis Colts are going to be right there. But folks, they're stacked. They've got a, especially offensively, they got a three-headed monster now at wide receiver in Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and the guy everybody's talking about separate from Jones and Brown, and that's Josh Reynolds um, coming over from the Los Angeles Rams last year. All we've heard is good things at camp about Josh Reynolds and his production. Uh, we know that the Rams had a stacked wide receiver room as well, and he fought hard to get on the football field, and when he was on there, he produced, but he was a third and fourth option on that offense and he's going to be a third and fourth option on this offense but if they get thrown the ball um, he's a viable third option and he can be productive now you've got king henry there's two things that i think that can that can offset the tennessee titans or 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 really throw their season out of whack and number one and I've talked about this off air with a couple different people is is how fast will they find that offensive identity, right? You see, you know, you, you've got a team and you've got their makeup. You know, we're going to run the football with Henry. We're going to play action. We're going to throw it to A.J. Brown. Um, and we've got Ryan Tannehill who can, you know, move around the pocket a little bit and move when he absolutely needs to. And then you, you make that big move to, to push you over the top and try to get you a Super Bowl or get into that Super Bowl in going and getting Julio. And now what is the offensive identity in Tennessee? And how fast will they find that? What What's the correct number of balls going to Julio? What's the correct number of balls going to A.J. Brown? How many times are we going to hand it off to Henry? Is you know are becoming a little bit more of a throwing offense. So if that's the case, are we going to try to throw it to Henry a little bit more out of the backfield, even though that's not necessarily his forte or what we've done in the past with that power running game and that dominant and angry and nasty offensive line. And number two is injuries. Not a lot of depth when you start to look at that depth chart um, past some of the big names on that Tennessee Titans offense. So those are the two things I think that can really offset this Tennessee Titans offense and this Tennessee Titans team. Listen, we know how pathetic their pass rush was last year. Um, they've gone out and fixed that with Autry and Bud Dupree and some other different options there. So now you've got great depth on the defensive side of the ball. The, can you find your offensive identity? One thing that's going to help is their start. You know, you got Carolina, you're at Seattle, the Colts probably without Wentz, the Jets and the Jaguars. You know, that's a three or four win right off the hop. So you're you're three and two at worst, four and one, possibly even five and zero. Oh. And then you've got the gauntlet, week six and beyond. You go Buffalo Chiefs at Colts. Wentz is going to be back by then. We know that. At the Rams and the Saints. I know the Saints aren't the same Saints, but hey, you never know with Sean Payton. And, uh, and that squad this year. So that's a tough little stretch, week 6 to 10 for them. So to me, the Titans, if they can get off to a good start, find that identity, there's no reason why they can't win this division. The last team before we go over to our, our guest, Kevin Bowen, 
is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you talk about a three-headed monster in Tennessee. Not a bad little three-headed monster in uh, in Jacksonville with Shark, Marvin Jones, and uh, LaVisca Chenault uh, Jr. Hey, they've got Travis Etienne, James Robinson. Watch out for Luke Farrell. I've said this name before. Grabbing that tight end uh, TE1 spot um, in Jacksonville as well. But to me, what's going to really shine clear in Jacksonville is, listen, they've, they've got a pretty decent secondary uh, and some good pieces on that back end. But but who's going to rush the passer? And who's going to get after the passer is a big thing that I'm looking for in Jacksonville. Same thing in terms of uh, a start for Jacksonville. They've got that same type of start as Houston does where they can really find their legs. Um, week one, that's going to be a big matchup, Houston and Jacksonville. Then Jacksonville goes Denver, Arizona, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Miami, and then a bye. There's no reason why they can't you know, be 500 or better um, off that hop if they can get some success, get the ball moving down the field, and uh, if they can find a little bit of a pass rush, weeks 8 to 14 are going to be an absolute battle. They're at Seattle, Buffalo, at Indy, uh, San Francisco, Atlanta, at the Rams, at Tennessee. So that's um, a, t- a tough little stretch there, a uh, seven-week stretch for them. They'll have to try to hang on there, and then they'll have a nice little easy stretch coming home in weeks uh, 15 through 18. But um, no reason why this Jacksonville Jaguars team can't definitely improve this year and really try to compete and and try to make some noise in this division. Um, Depending on the Wentz situation, in my mind, folks, I see Tennessee being kind of the the clear-cut favorite here. And don't be surprised if either the Jags or Houston really try to push, you know, and maybe get to that six and ten, seven and nine level, and with an off season with the Colts maybe coming in at nine and seven, um, it could be a little tighter than you think um, as we turn the corner after week twelve, week thirteen, week fourteen. But uh, before we go any further and we move off to the NFC North, let's zip it over to our first guest of the return show welcome back in the saddle let's zip over to kevin bowen with the indianapolis colts all right triple g listeners let's give a big warm welcome back from our summer break our first official guest on and where else could we start than indianapolis the quarterback controversy that is as on the national stage carson wentz looks like he may or may not make the opening week we've got Eason, we've got Ellinger, and we've got 107.5 The Fans Morning Show covering the Indianapolis Colts for the last decade, Mr. Kevin Bowen. Kevin, how are you, my friend? Great to talk to you again. Hey, Stephen, doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, let's let's get right into it. And, and I'm going to, uh, you know, take a step back. I know everybody wants to hear your thoughts on on the quarterbacks and, and what's going to happen there. But let's start with, you know, the big news from, you know, seven to ten days ago. And that was, you know, the Colts locking up Darius Leonard and, and, and you know, putting their uh, their set in stone on him. Moving forward, where does this team go? I look up for the makeup of the team and, and I'm starting to wonder, you know, if they can't get to that next level what's the next step here is it is it re-signing Quentin Nelson or is a wait and see approach from Chris Ballard in that front office yeah I, I think for the time being it's, it's wait and see you know Quentin Nelson's going into year four of a four-year rookie contract with the fifth-year team option obviously picked up for 2022 so there's no need no no sense of urgency to do anything with Nelson 
The other guy I'd kind of throw in there is Naeem Hines. You know, been a super effective uh, dual threat guy out of the backfield. Uh, really durable, never missed an NFL game and, and through three NFL seasons as well. So, you know, that's a great 2018 draft class. I think those are the next two guys that I would kind of put on that list. Yeah, that's a, a name that I, I never thought of there. I You know, I was looking more at that, uh, you know, Pittman possibly as, a, as another option there. But um, what's the identity of this team offensively moving forward? You know, we look at we look at that defense and, and how ready it is to win and that offensive line being, you know, if not the best, definitely top three to five in the in the NFL currently. What's the what's the identity of this team? Is it is, is it a young nucleus with with Taylor and Pittman moving forward? Is it just a team that's kind of in flux offensively looking to find their quarterback? What are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly you are looking to find your quarterback and you've invested a good amount into Carson Wentz. So you hope and believe that he is the guy. Um, but I would say if you want identity and you ask Chris Ballard and you look at where they put resources, you got to go to the to the trenches. I mean, we just talked about a few of them right there. But, you know, look across that line. Obviously, they didn't draft Eric Fisher number one overall, but they've now signed him. You know, Nelson, six overall. Ryan Kelly, 18th overall. Your right guard is Mark Glowinski, who you've re-signed to a to a contract um, and then right tackle brain Smith, who's I think 37th overall in terms of where they were drafted. So I mean, that's, that's a pretty good amount of investment into your O line. You look at the D line, um, you know, you traded a first round pick for DeForest Buckner. Yep. Uh, you've got second rounders and Kamoko Ture and Taekwon Lewis and Ben Banigou, obviously a first rounder this past year on Quiddy pay uh, Grover Stewart, who's another starter is a fourth round pick. So I, I would, I would say there, I mean, that is the identity when Chris took this job, Back in 2017, he did not mince words in saying that this has got to be a um, a team that's built in the trenches and his resources and how he spent those resources have backed that up. Yeah, and and speaking of that that O line, um, and you and you mentioned the name, and and I had it a little bit further down on the list of our questions that we were going to cover today, but let's let's get right to it. Where do we stand with Eric Fisher? Uh, I, I you know you look on that depth chart and and he's sitting three right now on that Colts website. Uh, where do we stand with the injury and what are your thoughts? Is this going to be a long-term process here that we may see him come back, you know, week four to six type of thing? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the biggest questions. And certainly for any of those that watch the Colts preseason opener on Sunday, they clearly saw how much they miss Eric Fisher. Um, you know, their offensive tackle depth, which really probably any team could say is lacking in this league, but, um, having said that, you know, it seems like he's doing pretty well rehab-wise. You know, he tore that Achilles uh, during the AFC Championship game against Carolina. Um, you know, when you watch him on the adjacent practice field at camp, he looks pretty good, you know, fairly good. Obviously, uh, looks a whole lot different, you know, when you do that one-on-zero versus, you know, putting on full pads and do that in a practice setting. So, you know, my gut says he's not going to miss, like, a huge, huge chunk of the season. Um but obviously, I think we're approaching kind of a big, you know, teeter-totter sort of period here of like, this guy probably needs two full weeks of practice, you would think, to be ready to go week one. So, um, you know, we're not there yet. But, you know, once you get through this week, that's kind of next week is really the big week. Um, so that's kind of what I've circled on my calendar to see if Fish will be ready for the start of the season or not. What uh, let, let's jump ahead now, uh, Kevin, to what everybody wants to talk about. And, and, you know, I think the hope in Indianapolis is, is that, uh, you know, number two is going to be on the on the field there come come week one. But in, in all honesty, 
between me and you, you know, there's a good opportunity that we're going to have to see one of these other two quarterbacks, you know, after, after watching, and I know it's preseason and, and, you know, Ellinger gets to play against some of the, the second and third stringers, but what did you like about their games and, and who do you think's kind of got that leading edge uh, moving into the last couple of weeks of camp and week two of the preseason here between Easton and Ellinger? Yeah. You know, I, I thought the one thing I really liked with Easton was, um, he took some chances down the field and, and you know, he had a completion percentage that were really, really strong. Um, I think very important, you know, for a guy like Frank Reich when he's evaluating quarterbacks and things like that. So I think that's the best thing that you liked about what you saw from Eason. Uh, certainly needs to work on just movement in the pocket and, and pinpoint accuracy and some underneath stuff and things like that. But that's what I think you really liked about him. Ellinger, it was bouncing back from the interception. You know, he had the early pick in that game, came back through um, – through a very similar route later in the game and was able to complete that ball, led a couple scoring drives in the fourth quarter as well. So I'm uh, just seeing him bounce back, you know, move the, move the football, good amount, made some plays with his legs as well. Honestly, I think if you're a Colts fan and you're walking out of Lucas Oil stadium, I think you had to be really pleased with what those two gave you considering it's the first time they've ever played in any NFL game. You know, Jacob Eason didn't even put on a Jersey last year in the NFL. So I think you got to be pleased. Yeah, what, what you like, what I liked about Issa too, uh, Kevin, was the fact that, and looking at where Frank Wright came from, and and you know that Buffalo offense is the ball was coming out on time. Um, you know, you, you you had a sack midway through that second quarter. There, I wrote it down in my notes watching the game yesterday. Second and sixteen, and he he lets a cannon go over the middle of the field into a you know an intermediate pocket, which was a which was a beautiful throw. The ball seemed to be coming out on time, and you're bang on. In my notes as well was. Uh, struggled to climb the pocket at times. I thought that if he was able to move forward in the pocket and, and climb that pocket a couple times, he would have opened up some throws. Instead, he took a little bit of a negative play uh, from time to time there. So um, totally agree with you. Who do you think's got that leading edge? Yeah, sorry, you were, you were breaking up just just for a second. Um, I think you're referencing kind of Easton's pocket movement. He had that sack earlier. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like that is kind of an area for improvement for him uh, we talked about the pinpoint accuracy a little bit his reading of progressions I think is another spot where where he definitely has to work and, and I think that's where you're left with positives you know this guy hasn't played football either in about two years and yet you look at his stats from yesterday and again it's 71 percent and I think 8.7 yards per attempt I mean that's stuff that some quarterbacks would would dream of that's some uh, great insight there Kevin Give our listeners some more thought into what you are looking at, what the diehard Colts fans looking at um, as we move into the last couple of weeks of camp and, and closer to week one here in the season as some of the battles that uh, that we're going to highlight on our, our list to watch here. Well, non-quarterback division, you got to go back to the Eric Fisher comments from earlier. They've played three guys at that left tackle spot throughout camp, and I don't think there's any clarity whatsoever on who would be the guy if and when Fisher can't be ready to start the year. Um, I think the third cornerback spot is kind of another Chiraki scene and TJ Carey have been an interesting battle. Carey is a guy that actually got banged up in the preseason opener on Sunday. Uh, you move over to, I guess, back to offense. I think just in general, the playing time of running back and receiver will be something to watch. I personally think Jonathan Taylor should be the unquestioned bell cow, get 20 carries a game. Um, so, yeah, those are those are some, some spots to keep an eye on, I think, in the final couple weeks of camp. As always, we appreciate uh, Kevin's time and uh, him coming on. 
great chat there. We did have some technical difficulties throughout that uh, course of that interview. Got cut off two or three, four times. So thank Kevin for his time and uh, making it work there for us. And that's a wrap on the AFC South. So let's move over now to the NFC North and the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions, and we'll zip it over to Jacob Infante um, for our interview on the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields. But let's start off with the class of the North over the last 25 years, let's say. Um, it's pretty boring in this division. And once again, I think it's going to be. Um, it's all sorted out now. They've kissed. They've made up. He's back in camp. He's smiling and he's throwing absolutely amazing darts all over the football field. And that's AR-12. Aaron Rodgers is back. He's got his man, Randall Cobb. He's all happy now. They've got two of the best offensive linemen in football. And David Bakhtiari, I know he's coming off of the major injury. And Elgin uh, Jenkins, who I think is uh, the best offensive lineman in football right now in terms of positional versatility, um, flat-out dominance, pass blocking, run blocking, different schemes. I think this kid's uh, the best uh, offensive lineman in football. Um, Not a household name, not a well-known name, but he is definitely looking good and um, a name that I think will... uh, will be on the rise and people will start to know um, as we move forward in his career years three four and beyond but uh interesting to see here because this is super bowl or bust for the green bay packers it really is and uh with the with the renegotiated contract of ar12 they've got this year and maybe next year to get it done and then it's the jordan love experiment and i think we saw the first taste of that potion, of that love potion, happened in preseason week one. And I know he got a little dinged up with the shoulder and everything and the, and the sack fumble. But, hey, 6 of 6, 89 yards, drives the team down the football field. Could he be another name that we throw into that quarterback, under 25 quarterbacks, and, and the love for just how good these quarterbacks are right now? It possibly in two years down the road, but for the Green Bay Packers, it's Super Bowl or bust. That defense is ready to win. That offensive line, if it can stay healthy, is ready to win. I know you lost Jamal Williams um, over to the division opponent in uh, the Detroit Lions, but uh, A.J. Dillon's a very capable backup. You got Jones back. There's not much to talk about really in Green Bay. You've got some good wide receiver depth. You know, you got Tanya at at, uh, at tight end. So for the Packers, uh, want, they're kind of like the Titans. I just don't see how they can't win this division. Again, barring any major, major injuries, you know, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, somebody like that going down may um, affect that, no doubt. But uh, I just don't see anybody being able to step up to the plate with the Green Bay Packers at this current time. And I think they're NFC contenders from day one right to the end until they show us differently. The Minnesota Vikings, uh, the enigma of the Minnesota Vikings, 9 of 11 starters returning. Only two changes are uh, on that offensive line, and that's the question right now is what's happening on that offensive line. You draft Christian Derisau in uh, the first round of the draft, and 
just goes in for groin surgery second groin surgery on uh, on friday that's just past us here as we record on uh, on tuesday august 17th here it's it's been the same story for for minnesota here now for the last three years and and to me mike zimmer's on the hot seat and chris spielman's on that they, they gotta be gotta be on that hot seat because if you can't build that offensive line to protect Kurt Cousins and find a way to win football games, then it might be time for a, a new regime in Minnesota. You've got a top three, at worst top five, running back in the NFL, uh, no doubt in Dalvin Cook. He's a dual threat inside, out of the backfield. You know, you've brought in Tomlinson, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson from the New York Giants uh, on that interior defensive line you get michael pierce back off of the covid19 opt-out you've got daniel hunter you've got sheldon richardson okay you don't have the premier pass rusher um like yannick ngakwe last year even though he didn't last very long in minnesota it was a six weeks and gone but you don't have that premier guy so who's it gonna be is it gonna be a james lynch is it gonna have to be one of those Pierce or Tomlinson or Richardson finds his form like he did with the Jets and maybe develops a little bit more pass rush um, ability. But who's going to be that guy to pair Hunter? You, you might not need it. You've brought in some veteran secondary pieces. Uh, last year they were very young on the back end, and you could see with a with a complex defensive system that Mike Zimmer runs – in terms of blitzing and and zone and man defenses and and he really does a lot of things defensively he's very very multiple um you know you bring in Brashad uh, Breland you've got Harrison Smith back you bring in Xavier Woods you bring in Patrick Peterson so you've got some veterans on the back end to kind of settle things down a little bit you bring back Mackenzie Alexander who was in this system before with Mike Zimmer so you you settled down that back end you know, you've got Barr, you've got Kendricks back. So the defense is ready to win. You've got a great running back. You've got Thielen. You've got the emergency, the emergence of Justin Jefferson. Just figure out the goddamn offensive line, and you might be able to be competitive, Minnesota. Um, some gonna, some are going to argue with me. Kirk Cousins is not good enough to win anything, and and you know what? I've said it myself, so I, I don't really have too much argument there. But when you start to break it down. You know, Cincinnati, Arizona, Seattle, Cleveland, Detroit, and Carolina. That's their first six games. There's no reason why you should not be off to a 4-2, and 5-1 and one start. I see kind of 4-2 and two is what I wrote down. It, to me, comes down to week weeks 13 through 18 for the Minnesota Vikings in terms of their division and where they are in that NFC uh, playoff race. Weeks uh, fourteen through thirteen through eighteen, you've got Detroit. I know Detroit. You know, are they going to be competitive? Not competitive. I think they're going to play hard all all season long. I'll tell you that much. And they're a division opponent. Then you go Pittsburgh at Chicago, Rams at Green Bay, home to Chicago to end it out. Four of the last six once again weeks are in the division for the Minnesota Vikings. That's going to be the telltale for them in terms of where they end up with this. But um, they've got to figure out this offensive line real quick uh, because when the Seattles and the Clevelands come to town and don't sleep on Carolina either, having to go down there, and if your offensive line's in shambles, um, 
you know, if it's a two and four, three and three start for this Minnesota Vikings squad, that's going to be another tough climb, similar to last year, where you're trying to climb your way back out of a hole. Uh, might not be good enough, and it could be uh, a free set for the Minnesota Vikings in 2022 if that's the case. Detroit Lions um, comes down to me. To, you know, we can break down Jared Goff, Penny Sewell, who we talked about this offensive line. You know, they re-signed Frank Ragnow and and you know Brad Holmes comes in and does some some good things and sets up uh, draft capital for the future for the Lions. That's about competing. It's about competing internally for for jobs, making the football team better, and it's about competing out on the football field and on the national stage to make yourself um, at least respectable for the Lions. I think is what they're trying to do uh, this year. D- just not enough talent all the way around uh, on that squad when you look at that depth chart. So I think for them, compete, compete hard, and uh, show well, and kind of see. I, I, I four to six wins for them at most in terms of uh, where they're looking at. If uh, if the competition level goes down, they don't play hard for Dan Campbell, which I don't see happening. More of a player's coach. Um, it could get real ugly, and they could be drafting first overall next year and going to get their, their new franchise quarterback after the Goff uh, bridge ends. But uh, compete is the word that I have for the Detroit Lions. And what a great way to segue over now to talk about Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, let's kick it over to our interview with Jacob Infante. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a warm welcome. This is guest number two on this episode, NFL draft analyst for the Draft Wire, writer and podcaster for Windy City Gridiron, Jacob Infante. Jacob, are you with us here? Yes, yeah, Stefan, I'm in. Oh, beautiful. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your time. So, Let's hop. Uh, let's hop right into it. I know uh, those Bear fans are diehards, and they are ready to go for the season. But um, could have that performance gone any better for Justin Fields? And what did you like about that performance um, last weekend here? Yeah. So there was a lot that I did like about Justin Fields' performance. I think that uh, from an accuracy perspective, he looked sharp. He looked. Uh, consistently able to fit passes into tight windows and find the open man. Uh, arm talent looked impressive. The uh, athleticism obviously stood up, uh, you know, jumped off the page. And well, that's not to say that Mitch Trubisky wasn't a bad athlete in Chicago. He was, you know, by all means an above average athlete for the quarterback position, but Justin Fields is just in another territory of his own. Uh, so I, I think that really stood out. I do think that, especially early on, he could have improved a little bit in terms of his decision-making. Uh, he certainly showed some promise in that regard, being able to make those full-field reads and you know go through progressions like that and look past the first read. But uh, I, I think it, it's still a work in progress, and as it is for uh, – as it is for most rookies, I should say that there are a lot of, you know, mental lapses and that's something that honestly bears fans should come to expect uh, out of a rookie quarterback as you know, the case for any team with a rookie quarterback. But overall, I think he did a really good job. I think he looked the part of a true franchise quarterback and I, I I don't want to go out and say, Oh, he's guaranteed to be a star because you can't say that off of one game. Uh, a preseason game, no less. But I think that a lot did go right, and I consider his performance to be uh, very high quality for, uh, especially for someone's debut. 
And I know, I know you would have looked at them in, uh, quite extensively in, in with all your draft analysts with, with DraftWire, like I mentioned at the top there. Was that what you saw in, in that preseason game? Was that the Justin Fields that you analyzed and that you did all of the research on? Or was there anything else that kind of, you know, was added to his game through training camp, through offseason work? that you kind of were like, oh, I didn't think he had that in him or, oh, that's something new that I didn't see, him, see in all the film and all that stuff that you did leading up to the draft. Yeah, I'd say that his performance was pretty reflective of what I saw at his time at Ohio State. Uh, obviously, you know, no player is going to be a perfect prospect. Uh, so, you know, there are occasional mental lapses. But I think overall he was better than a lot of people, you know, gave him credit for at Ohio State with, you know, going through progressions, making smart decisions on the football field. I think that he didn't get nearly enough credit. Uh, and he looked pretty good there, I will say, on Saturday. Obviously not perfect. There are some lapses, especially in those first three possessions where they had consecutive three and outs. But I think there was a lot to like. Uh, and a lot of the good things that we saw on tape, the arm talent, the accuracy, the athleticism, I think that all showed up. Uh, and... I do think that there, are, that some of Justin Fields' struggles early on can be placed on the wide receivers because I don't think that they did an incredible job of getting open. And for what Fields had to work with, even early on, he wasn't bad. He just wasn't as good as he would be uh, later on in the game. So, yeah, I think that you know, just overall, I do think that there was a lot. Uh, from Justin Fields' performance that was pretty similar to what we saw at Ohio State, and that's you know definitely a good thing. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, there's there's a reason why they moved up from 20 to 11 to go get him, right? So, Absolutely, absolutely. You, you mentioned the wide receivers, Jacob, um, and I want to get to one. I know we had it further down in our questions, but you kind of segued it perfectly for me. <laughs> Allen Robinson, where are we at with that? I'm going to read you a few numbers. 150 targets four times already in his career. Um, almost 100 grabs in the last back-to-back season, 750, 1150, 1250 yards over the last three seasons in Chicago, anywhere from five to seven touchdowns per year. How come the Bears have not locked this guy up to a long-term deal? These types of receivers don't come around that often, and they're playing it risky here with having him on the tag right now, are they not? I definitely think they are, uh, especially when you consider the fact that franchise tags have in the past been – you know, kind of, I, I want, I guess controversial is a word I could use uh, from a player's perspective that you don't see me as good enough to, you know, sign me long term, but I don't have any control over what happens with me. Uh, so that can definitely, you know, rub a player the wrong way if they, you know, continuously get, you know, placed on the tag. My understanding, and I'm saying this without uh, insider info about this specific situation. My understanding of the situation is that the Bears really like Allen Robinson. They think he's a great player. They just aren't willing to pay him top five receiver money, which, I mean, I don't think Allen Robinson is a top five receiver, but I think he's a top 10 receiver. And I think that with the way the market's playing out, Stephon Diggs is going to get a massive payday. Tyreek Hill is going to get a massive payday soon. Uh, might as well get ahead of that and – in like a year or two, you'll be paying Allen Robinson like you'll be paying him top 10 money, which is what he is, in my opinion, a top 10 wide receiver in the league. Uh, so 
what I would do and what the Bears are planning on doing seems to be different. I personally would have paid Allen Robinson a long time ago, uh, but I think what they're going to do is they're going to reevaluate it from there, see how Robinson does with Justin Fields, and you know if that connection works, then maybe the Bears will hope that they can get Robinson on a discount. But you know even if they don't, then I. I think they would be they would be smart to pay Allen Robinson. That's just my opinion on it because, like you said, receivers like that don't come around often. And generally, like receivers are pretty replaceable in the draft. If you have like a number two or three receiver, it's probably best to let them walk and find the replacement in the draft. But uh, when it comes to those bona fide number one guys, those are the type of players I think you don't let walk. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, like you look at. At even last year's draft and, and a deep draft this year, yeah, some of those guys uh, showed up and showed out in, in preseason week number one, and it looks like, you know, that deep wide receiver core that we thought that was going to happen in this year's draft is, is shining through. But how many of those, like you get, like you said, are, are going to be top five, top ten receivers? And to take that chance on trying to replace that in the draft or having to pay big-time money, which you're going to give Robinson anyways via free agency – um, would have been the same thing. So it, it's definitely, I think they're, they're taking a risk on it. Back, back, to, the, uh, back to the football field, though. And I, and I had a question uh, talking with Kevin Bowen about uh, the Indianapolis Colts before you came on here, Jacob. And I want to kind of ask you this, the same similar question. I think it runs a little bit more true with this Bear squad. What are we going to see offensively from them in 2021? Is it quarterback dependent, i.e., um, Fields is going to have his offense with a little bit more RPO and, and quarterback movement. Dalton, if he does somehow land this starter job um, with a traditional pass back game or drop back game, or is this Matt Nagy's offense and, and it's we're going to see Matt Nagy's offense with the trick plays and a little bit of everything in there? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think that regardless of whether Dalton or Fields are going to be a quarterback, I think we're going to see a decent amount of RPOs. Uh, the Bears were top 10. I don't know exactly where off the top of my head, but I, I know they were top 10 in the league in amount of uh, RPOs run. So I, I think that regardless of who they have a quarterback, I think that's a staple of Matt Nagy's offense. Uh, I think with Fields, you'll be more willing to uh, run those because defenses are going to have to try and respect uh, if it's a read option as opposed to a run pass option, they'll have to respect that a lot more, uh, which could open up more avenues in the passing game. Uh so, so I think offensively, RPO is going to be, you know, obviously not a massive part, but it's it's an integral part of that offense. Uh, and I think we saw it with Fields uh, on Saturday that with him at quarterback, they did, you know, more designed bootlegs. Uh, they had him roll out a bit more. Uh, I think that, you know, that, you know, that's a smart play, honestly, with Fields' athletic ability that he is the – uh, the threat of taking off and running, which we saw him do a couple times. So I think if Fields is at quarterback, we'll see more quarterback movement, more uh, throwing on the run, more design bootlegs. Uh, with Dalton, I, I think you could see some of that, maybe not to that exact extent, because obviously he doesn't have you know, that same mobility. Uh, but I think the offense is going to be fairly similar, uh, rooted in uh, zone running, rooted in uh, – Short passes, I think that's going to be the, you know, that, that's those are the staples of Matt Nagy's offense. And I think that 
no matter if it's Dalton or Fields a quarterback, the offense will be pretty similar. I just expect a little bit more quarterback movement uh, once Fields enters the starting lineup. Yeah. What's uh What's the most important positional group to this team's success in 2021? Is it Is it a you know a revive of uh, of Mac and and that pressure defense and forcing turnovers with Jackson and, and leading the league in turnovers like a few years ago? Or is it the rebuilt offensive line and, and the protection of the quarterback, or maybe a position group that I'm not mentioning, um, that uh, that could come to the forefront and really lead this team back to success and back to the playoffs in 2021? Here, you know, I think that's tough because you, you can go in a bunch of different directions here. I think secondary stands out as one of them, but uh, I'm going to go with offensive line. I think that you're coming in with you know a pretty unproven. Uh, offensive line considering that two-fifths of them have like what seven eight starts or fewer like Sam Musker you're starting at center uh he has you know maybe half of a season of starting tape of any tape uh to his name Tevin Jenkins don't know exactly what's you know what to project there with his uh current situation with his back injury and then you've got uh Cody Whitehair, who's probably the only proven commodity on that offensive line because James Daniels is entering year four now, and we still don't really know what he is. Like He's definitely shown flashes, but the first two years were a bit inconsistent, and he looked to be putting it all together in 2020 before he got hurt. So I really don't know what to make of him. And then Jermaine Effetti, uh, I think the upside with him is – you know, pretty tapped out at this point. I think he is what he is. He's not going to be, he's not bad. He's just, you know, in terms of starting offensive tackles, he's below average. And all that said, I think that there's potential on the offensive line. If Tevin Jenkins plays well, if Sam Mustafer plays well, and if James Daniels comes back from injury well, uh, there's a lot of room for growth. But at the same time, say if Jenkins injury, you know, hurts him throughout the year uh Mustafer doesn't play well and James Daniels either gets hurt again or he doesn't build upon that 2020 season then you're looking at a potential disaster and I know I sound a little dramatic with my wording choice there but I, I think there's a lot of room for error a lot of success of room for success but a lot of room for error with that offensive line so it could really go either way in my opinion yeah, I agree, and I think I think that that thirty third overall pick with Jenkins was meant specifically to have him come in and be a plug and play offensive lineman on this line, and and with that in question, like you said, with the back and and where things are at, um, I I can't disagree with you in in terms of the feast or famine type of feel on that offensive line right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I say this as someone who is a big fan of Tevin Jenkins. Uh, leading up to the draft, and someone who still doesn't have much fear in his long-term investment. I don't want to say that one injury uh, is going to derail his entire career and say, oh, he's not playing in the preseason, he's a bust. Yeah. yeah. But So I, I'm trying to be you know, cautious there, but there is some room for concern. Uh, I think that it, it is a little frustrating that he's not out there uh, just from a, you know, a fan's perspective, but – I, I think that that selection in particular, they expected him to start from day one, which I personally did too. Uh, even before the Bears drafted him, I thought, okay, this is a, a day one starter type of guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. We'll just have to see what happens with that 
injury development. I'm hoping for the best for him that he's able to uh, bounce back here, but you know, time will tell. Looking further into uh, the last couple of weeks of training camp and moving uh, closer to the season, start of the year. What are a couple training camp battles that that you're watching? Um, things that may be important to this squad. Um, just like I asked Kevin uh, in week 12, week 13, you know, what's a battle that we can watch that, you know, we can look back on and go, hey, that guy won the job in camp and now he's starting here in week 13 due to injury or good play um, that you can give our listeners over the last couple of weeks at camp here. Yeah, so I think in particular there are two uh, cornerback positions that are up for grabs right now. I think that Jalen Johnson's set at the boundary corner – uh, playing on the outside, but the other two, uh, field side corner and the slot corner, are a bit up for grabs here. So, with the slot, you're looking at probably Duke Shelley to start, but keep an eye on rookie Thomas Graham. He didn't make a ton of noise in his first preseason outing, but he has really good tape. By all accounts, he's played pretty well in camp, so he could end up pushing for that starting spot. And then the other corner spot at the outside, uh, it's between Desmond Trufant and Kendall Vilder. And Trufant's obviously the uh, the experienced veteran who's been around yep. the league for a while, played at a very high level years ago. Uh, Kendall Vilder's younger, uh, might have more upside right now, and the team seems to be really high on him. So I think that either of those cornerback positions could be up for grabs. So those are honestly the two positions I think are the, the biggest battles. I mean, obviously besides quarterback, but I think the two cornerback spots are going to be uh, pretty hotly contested uh, these next couple weeks. Yeah, and they're important in the fact that, you know, the NFL in 2021, as we know, is a passing league. And and as, you know, cornerback depth is always tested in the NFL come week 8, 9, 10, 11, and beyond, um, you know, corners start to go ga- down. Some of those quick t- twitch muscles and soft tissue muscles start to get banged up and beat up. And corners are not available on Sunday, and the, you can never have an, enough corners in in the NFL. So it's important that that those competitions happen, and you have those guys available on your roster or on your practice squad for call up. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's one thing that I'm a little concerned about with the Bears is obviously they have a lot of young guys at corner, uh, but not many of them were uh, necessarily heavy investments at the position. Uh, Jalen Johnson was a second rounder, but Trufant is on a veteran minimum deal. Uh, Duke Shelley was a six round pick. Kendall Vilder, a fifth round pick. Thomas Graham, a six round pick. You're relying a lot on late round guys to step into big roles right away, which obviously can happen. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty risky move on, uh, Ryan Pace's part. I won't lie. So I, I do have some concerns there, but again, like the offensive line, I will say, there's a lot of room for potential and a lot of room for error. So, again, time will tell what happens with the cornerback position. I thought the secondary was a bit shaky uh, in their preseason game against the Dolphins, a bit hit or miss, if you will. Uh, But I I do think that there was – I do think that there's plenty of growth and uh, potential there with that group. Awesome. One more question before we let you go here, Jacob. Uh, let's move away from the football field and into the front office and, um, you know, talk and feel not on the national level and, and in Chicago, I would imagine, over the start of the offseason was that this was a make or break year for, for Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy in the front office and the coaching staff. And then all of a sudden the, the 11th overall pick happens and, and Justin Fields comes 
and and it is that that saving grace and that saving light. What's the feel for for Matt Nagy and Pace there in Chicago? Is it still um, a make or break year, or have they bought themselves a couple more years here with Justin Fields? My gut says that they have bought themselves a little bit more time. Uh, I personally think that their seats are still pretty warm. I wouldn't say they're on the the hot seat. I wouldn't say that confidently, but I definitely say that they're under pressure. Uh, but drafting fields definitely alleviated some of that pressure. You can make the argument, oh, we just drafted a quarterback who's a rookie. Give us some time, let him develop, and then you can evaluate us from there. Uh, that, that's just my gut with where the Bears are at right now. I think they're giving uh, I think they're giving Pace and Nagy a little bit more leeway. But again, I do think that there's there's definite pressure on the Bears to succeed. And even if they don't have a great record this year, I, I think that if Justin Fields shows significant growth and the team shows some promise going forward, then I think Nagy and Pace are safe. But if Fields doesn't play well and the rest of the team kind of flounders, I think that there's a possibility Nagy and Pace could be gone. Yeah. Well, it'll be uh, an interesting year in 2021 for these Bears, and uh, we'll make sure we're following along with you. Jacob, let us know where we can find you, where our listeners can find you, and uh, we'll let you go here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at JacobInfante24. Uh, you can find my Bears work and some NFL draft stuff over at Windy City Gridiron, uh, as well as some uh, NFL draft work over at the DraftWire. So. Yeah, those are the websites that I'm writing at. And again, my Twitter is JacobInfante24. Awesome, Jacob. We'll uh, we'll check back uh, throughout the course of the year, and uh, we'll have you on again for sure, and appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. What an absolute pleasure talking with Jacob. That uh, that was great insight on, uh, on the Chicago Bears, what we're looking at, Justin Fields, and much more. All right, Triple G listeners, we're going to kick it over to break now. When we get back, we're going to get into our golf. We're going to go fast and furious with the golf and our picks, and we'll get you out of here. Enjoy, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like Here comes the, no, here comes the, All right, Triple G listeners, hope you enjoyed the little break there. And welcome back. We're going to get into some golf talk here on Triple G. I know everybody's all geared up and gung-ho for the NFL season, and so am I. But I'm also geared up for the FedEx Cup playoffs, the Women's British Open this week, everything that happened in golf last week from the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont, 279-yard par threes. Doug Barron winning the Shaw Classic out of Calgary. Shout out to Mike Weir and Stephen Ames and our friend of the show, Jay Delsing, who got to compete um, as well out there in Calgary to 
the Women's Scottish Open and Ryan O'Toole after 11 years being on the LPGA Tour fighting tooth and nail to keep her card getting her first victory with a final round 64 to Chase and Hadley with a hole in one and able to qualify at 125 on the FedEx Cup bang on um, by one stroke to Adam Scott missing a four foot putt to win at Wyndham and misses finishes 126 on the FedEx Cup standings. What an absolute crazy week in golf! To finally Roger Sloan getting in in a playoff. Nick Taylor and Adam Hadwin with top tens. Just so much happening in the world of golf right now. Absolutely amazing, but uh, just a great way to uh, to end off the season. Taylor Pendrith getting his card qualifying for the 2022 PGA Tour. Shout out to him as well. So a lot going on in the golf world. Wish I could cover it all, but we've got some real cool um, guests set up here for the uh, the fall and winter season in terms of golf. So make sure you're tuning in for that. Um, I think you guys are really going to like it. We've got some P- some former PGA Tour and current senior PGA Tour uh, professionals. we got PGA Tour caddies, uh, caddies of major championship winners, and possibly uh, current Ryder Cup players as well to uh, a lot more on the golf side. Uh, Team Canada national coach as well. So we're super excited for our golf, our fall golf guests lined up. But uh, let's get to this week and our picks in terms of the golf. And let's start with uh, the Women's British Open. And uh, shout out to Dutch. He got me his picks over just in time. I gave him the last minute uh, um, heads up on it. And he was able to... uh, uh, get the picks over. So he's got the women's U.S. Open pick. And, uh, of course, he probably picks the toughest name to pronounce in the entire field. But she's ranked 35th. She finished uh, T2nd last week at um, at the Women's Scottish Open. And that's Atia Titical. Um Hope I did my, uh, my best on it. But um, that's his pick for the Women's British Open. And my pick, I think I've got the winner. This week of the Women's British Open, 2018 T4, 2019 it was T11, and 2020 she was T22. So she's been solid as a rock in this event. Last week she was T4 in the Women's Scottish, and that's Arya Jatakarangan. Um, I know I messed up that last name there, but um, I'll catch it next time. But that is our two picks for the Women's British Open at Carnoustie. Ladies, saddle up and bring the rain gear. It's calling for rain potentially on all four days, Thursday through Sunday. High percentages Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're talking 90% on Saturday, Sunday, 60% uh, looking at uh, anywhere from 5 to 10 mils on both days over the weekend. Highs of 16 and 17 degrees. So it is going to be wet. It's going to be cold. We've seen that show before at Carnoustie. We know how tough that finish is. I wouldn't be surprised if the wind kicks up and that rain holds the way that they're calling for that the winner is significantly over par on that golf course. We know how tough it can play, i.e. remember uh, Jean Van Velde, Paul Lowry, Justin Leonard, that whole kit and caboodle. So um, ladies, enjoy, have fun. 
but uh, buckle up your chin strap because you could be in for a full test and a full Monty test at uh, Carnoustie Golf Club this week. Now, let's hop over to the Northern Trust for the gentleman on the PGA Tour, and uh, we'll kick over to uh, to Dutch's picks. He had his big gun. He had uh, two, What I, I don't call them big guns, but more two rock-steady picks, but I threw the big gun up uh, to Scotty Scheffler, 33-1. to 1. A nice little pick there from Dutchie. His rock steady pick is Webb Simpson as well at thirty three to one. Webby's caddy Paul Tesuri. That's uh, or Tesuri. That's one of the guests we're hoping to get on um, in the fall time. Talking a little bit about caddying on the uh, the PGA Tour and at the professional level. So uh, keep your ears open for that. We're uh, hoping that we can make the timing work with Paul. Um, as well, Webb Simpson's caddy, which will be real cool for all of our listeners out there. And Dutch's Dark Horse of the Week, great pick. Um, inside the top uh, 20 last year in this event, inside the top 30 um, in 2019, at 140-1. to 1, He's a bomber. We know how important driving is at, uh, at Liberty National here for the Northern Trust, and that's Cameron Champ. Love the pitch, picks, Dutch. We're hoping to have Dutch on next week as well, talk um, some Ryder Cup as we get close to that coming up. It They'll be making those final captain's picks and selections here in the next few weeks. So we're going to talk a little U.S. Ryder Cup um, and European Ryder Cup as you start to look up at, at it and how it shakes out. And it's got a little bit of a traditional old school feel. Uh, we could have six or seven Englishmen on that uh, European Ryder Cup squad. We could have nine of the 12 from um, the United Kingdom, period, between uh, England and uh, Ireland, and maybe even 12 if uh, McIntyre from Scotland gets picked as well. So, or Sorry, 10 of 12 if um, Poulter and McIntyre get picked uh, for that European squad. So it could have a little bit of old-school feel and back to the good old days when it was uh, U.S. versus U.K., uh, when we started out there. Now over to my picks to end off uh, the uh, the comeback episode here for the Northern Trust. And when I'm looking for a winner, I go to one spot and I go to the U.S. Open champion, third at the British Open, my big gun. Listen, 2019, he was T6 at this event. Last year, he was T3. He hit bombs it off the tee. I know he's 10 to 1, but uh, hey, how can you not like John Rahm? back after a little bit of a break there my rock steady pick 2019 he was t12 2020 he was uh, t13 in this event north bay born i know he's converted over to u.s citizen now but we still love him from north bay 80 to 1 my rock steady pick he's looking to qualify for that u.s Ryder cup team that we talked about so it's a big couple weeks for him in terms of the playoffs Ryder cup position 80 to 1 Jason Kokrak. And my long shot, it's a true long shot, but you know what? He's seen the golf course. He's coming back after a month off. You got to love that. He's fresh. T29 at the Wyndham. 2019, he was T43. 2020, he was T18 in this event on this golf course because usually, as my as our listeners know, I like to go back on a three-year look, but in 2018, they played a different golf course. So the last two years, he's seen the golf course. He's played it well. At 160-1, to 1, folks, why not put a Finsky down on Sebastian Munoz? I love it. Good value at my rock steady and my long shot. Folks, feels great to be back in the saddle. 
Felt good having a couple months off, but I am jacked to be back. You, For those that know me, you know how excited I get for this time of year. We got FedEx Cup playoffs. We got upcoming Ryder Cup. We got NFL fucking football, folks. Jacked. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks to the guests for their time. Hope you enjoyed a little Triple G. Good to be back, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you.